Interesting. Well, I was just going to say that that working with Sam and Casey, it, 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 that's why I say not only the big deal, but the, the real deal. It has exceeded my expectations. We have, we are working on some really exciting things together. We're having more impact than we could have otherwise had individually and, and, and apart. And so I think it's been a very beautiful union. And and again, we're just getting started. So yeah, it's it's they've been wonderful to work with and and helped in so many ways welcome to innovation and leadership where i interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers elite special operations soldiers startup ceos who sold their companies for billions of dollars pro athletes hollywood filmmakers really as many different kinds of experts as i can the whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate thanks for listening and i hope you enjoyed today's show welcome to innovation and leadership i'm jess larson Today, I get to have a friend and hero back on the show, Clay Olson. Clay, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. So Clay is, last time we had Clay on the show was like 600 episodes ago. So it's, it's about time to have yeah. you back. For people who don't know what you do, how do you introduce yourself? Well, I guess it depends on who I'm introducing myself to. <laughs> but back when I was on your show, all those- Five years ago? All those many yeah, episodes ago, I- was the CEO and founder of Fight the New Drug, the awareness campaign that educates young people on the harmful effects of pornography and other forms of sexual exploitation through science, facts, and personal accounts. So, and that, that's our conversation stemmed solely around that that conversation. And since then, I'm still, you know, that's still a, a, a cause and a, an organization that's near and dear to me, and I'm still very involved. But since that time, things, you know, there's a new new chapters and, and new projects and endeavors that have kind of come into play. So people may or may not have seen the other show we just filmed in this room with, with Sam Malouf by the time this comes out. And and he and I were saying terrible things about you on the oh, show, so yeah, you're going to have to gosh. see what that was. Talk about like starting and selling a tech company and now pouring jet fuel on the fire since you were on the show last. Yeah, well, so I guess the the context for that is that unknowingly, I, I kind of walked into founding a tech company. <laughs> I, I didn't know that I was doing that at the time. But uh, when I was traveling uh, quite a bit for Fight the New Drug, speaking at, at uh, schools and universities and you know, conferences, we started to get just an absurd amount of, of people reaching out asking for help, any kind of help. And and the problem, well, we didn't know we were uncovering a problem at that time. The problem was that, you know, A, there was a, a lack of support in this in the category of people dealing with sexual compulsivity or pornography struggles and there's a lack of support and, and the support that was available was you know very costly and for young people it required parental consent so there's kind of a mount everest in front of many people and, and long story short we we thought hey why don't we why don't we create an online free for youth resource that could support them on their journey and uh, let's let's team up with professionals and get you know the best minds and insights into how to do that and 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 it was just going to be the side little, you know, one of our resources among many other resources it was going to be this this offering that we we had. So I went and raised. I, I remember I raised. I had twelve thousand dollars that I had uh, available to kind of use for this project. And in my mind, I'm like, that's enough. And whoa, yeah, little did I know just kind of what was starting at that point. And so we created this tool called Fortify. 
Fortify was a was a software. It was a it was a, a a learning. You know, we built our own custom learning management system around behavior change uh, using, you know, the latest research on neuroplasticity and and uh, behavior change mechanisms, harnessing a lot of modalities of mindfulness and 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 we launched V one, and it started to get so so much attention. We started helping you know literally tens of thousands of individuals throughout the world that it, we started to recognize, well, there's, there's more to this. And we started putting more fuel onto that fire. Over time, it was, it was just abundantly clear that, that this was a separate initiative and, and that we wanted to kind of refocus the nonprofit back to its original core, which is education and awareness. We wanted to pull this into a new direction, which was focused on more healing technology support, but then expanding it beyond just sexual compulsivity into areas like mental health and substance abuse and personal growth and wellness. And so, and that was the vision. And uh, so I got some funding. I, I, I raised some adult, uh, money from a variety of angel investors and we carved out the, the software from the nonprofit into a new entity. And, and, and that, that was kind of the, the journey there. Can we talk about that yeah. first? It, it's so funny to do this with microphones because we have so many normal conversations, yeah. but <laughs> I think it's fun. Uh, <laughs> That was a dicey time for you. I think about all the calls yeah, that we had you and I, That's true. You and I, you were very, you were intimately aware of of some nuances of that journey because you and I spoke frequently we're just like, about you know our our, our individual. Yeah, I was journeys. like training CEO coaching. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, it was. We got to do that again. Start yes, today. Yes. So start. That was a dicey thing. You you need like. The the nonprofit is such your baby. Yeah. You're so hyper concerned with not doing anything to hurt it. Right. And and also the like just the public persona issues of like, oh, you're taking a nonprofit thing and making it a for profit thing and how is this all kosher and how do I make it fair? And and you like you were, you agonized about having it all be on the up and up. Oh and yeah. That was I a mean, tough thing. We, yeah. Because ultimately we saw the the, the bigger vision was we saw how separating the entities would actually allow both to thrive. And we saw that each had very unique and specific initiatives and missions and, and that housing them inside the nonprofit was crippling actually both. It was limiting the growth of the technology and it was, and it was really stifling the, the, the awareness because so many of the resources were being siphoned into the technology. So I saw that this wasn't a sustainable path, that one would either have to die or take a, a really backseat or – or just kind of, you know, focused on mediocrity in both cases, and, and that's never that's never my goal. Yeah. Like we want reminds, home runs, not base hits, right? Reminds me of the uh, the Russian saying, um, "Chase two rabbits, get no dinner." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so we decided. I, I, I agonized over it. Yes, and I we brought in a lot of help on on a financial and a tax and a legal standpoint to help. Opinions. Yeah, we wanted we wanted to make sure that everything was dialed. And we did, and we did it. We did, we were able to do that and to get uh, a lot of support. And and the end result was just what we hoped for. It really kind of rejuvenated the nonprofit. It really ju- rejuvenated the new entity that was going to be focusing on the technology around it, you know healing and wellness uh, and recovery. And and uh, and so yeah, it was it was it was an interesting time. It was a creative time. We had to really think through how to because you know I when I said creative, not not in that we were jumping through hoops. It was more like creative in that. Like, how do we make both thrive in the optimal situation? Well, and I think one of the things I've always admired you about you is, like, 
you just like undying passion for helping people. And that's so clear with the charity. And But you're like your marketing mind to get people like you have. I, th- I think you have natural talent, but you have put in years of intense study on what magnets are actually going to attract people. Like You've paid your dues there over yeah. and over. And so it was interesting because I didn't know you as a businessman at all. You'd, you'd given up your previous company to go to the nonprofit world years earlier before we yeah, met. Yeah, I'd sold my previous company to start the nonprofit years yeah. ago, yeah. And so seeing you come back to the business side after essentially years off, right? The, yeah. the business world, like full for profit. And at first, like, we would have these meetings. You're like, oh, I'm so excited this is going. We'd get together like a month later and you're like, that didn't really pan out. So we're going this direction, you know, and it was like, those typical fits and starts at the beginning, yeah. and then essentially hockey stick. I mean, how long was it from start to sale? Oh, oh, that's a year good question. And a half? Yeah, probably about a year and a half of 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 more focused full time initiative. Yeah, and, and not, you know, you say you know leaving the nonprofit and going back to the well, corporate. leaving's not. <laughs> Well, a, I haven't advisor. left. You're right. You're right. I, I, I'm I'm still president of non nonprofit. And I, honestly, I see. I don't really see a distinction. It's all cause driven for me. It's you know you've got the the nonprofit, and I guess from a legal standpoint, that's the classification. And there are some regulations around how to function, and 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 operate that kind of an entity. And there are different initiatives and 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 different maybe uh, uh, slightly different objectives, but really the the driving force in both cases and in all the efforts that I'm involved in. It's very cause driven, and and I'm very very uh, motivated by whatever the, the the organizational classification is. Very driven by making an impact. Okay, I think the compliment I'm trying to pay you is: I see so many folks with a big heart in nonprofit that would prefer not to worry about the dollars and cents, mm. and as a result, their nonprofits struggle. They can't fundraise. They don't. They don't think about the closed loop of what it's going to take. Like uh, a mentor of mine, they have a very cause. They call it a for a for purpose organization, okay. Mm. And their CFO, like he told me about this great conversation where their CFO gave the whole team the gears because they're saying like, well, I don't know if we should be so worried about the money. And the CFO is like, no money, no mission. Yeah. <laughs> Period. Right. <clears throat> Amen. And as a result, a lot of organizations, I think about how much more I would have liked to have done at Child Rescue, right? And I still have dreams of how much more we will do. But part of that is. The teams and some of the stuff I built there, I hadn't recruited enough people. I recruited plenty of people who cared enough, but not enough people with that business mind on the dollars and cents. Yeah. And so seeing you come from that to the tech industry and secure funding secure funding quickly, you're like, I think I'll raise this much. I was like, a lot of people find it harder than that. You call me back, you had the money. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then to see, like, you go through the typical fits and starts, and then you really grab almost something with traction, and it shoots right up to, a, to an acquisition. Yeah. It's impressive. Well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, you got to remember, like, I started in the, the for-profit. This like, is going to be you humble, trying to yeah, tell me it wasn't that easy. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I, that's where I started. When I, when I started the nonprofit, I, I, I ran the nonprofit more like an, a creative agency. So it, True. You know, I didn't really see us as, as a typical nonprofit with, you know, typical bad branding and typical... Bad, you know, I, I shouldn't say that. There's, there's so many wonderful, but I, the, the, you know, there is kind of an idea like nonprofit means low budget, and therefore they can't afford to to make things, you know, go for the home run. And and I didn't believe that from the get go. And maybe it was my naivety, but I I kind of walked in saying like, let's make this, you know, as, as well, strong you as get possible. Movie stars like Terry Crews and all these people involved as a result. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about this because. I'm thinking about many of other conversations of 
should I sell or not? Is this the right time? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like that was that was a big thing. You were only a year and a half into it. Yeah, and- I mean, yes, we were a year and a half into into and as an official entity, Fortify had started uh, years before that. But yes, as official entity, we were about a year and a half in, and I was not looking for an acquisition. <laughs> Goodness, we were we had just kind of completed uh, an early seed round. We were kind of looking at rounding out our our conclusion to an early seed round, and uh, so I was out looking for funding to kind of go to the next level and and <laughs> get. Basically, Sam had reached out and wanted to talk. For anybody who didn't see the episode I recorded right before this one, give people like the 10 second on Sam Maloof and the Maloof Foundation and his wife, Casey. Sam Maloof, you don't know. I mean, these guys are, uh, you know, this is. They're a big deal. They're a big deal. (laughs) Sam and Casey are. They have many leather bound books. I think they're library spells of rich mahogany. (laughs) I love love those guys. And they. They are the real deal, not not just a big deal. They're they're the real deal, and they've built a company that started off kind of with with you know sheets and pillows, and 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 has exploded into you know obviously mattresses and furniture, and and now there's they they've expanded into VC and venture capital world, and 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 investing in other tech companies, and we were a part of that kind of initiative. Yeah. So well, this building is amazing. I brought it up on the last episode, last show. The head of PR, Beth was saying she started three years ago when there's 200 people. Yeah. And now, or three years ago, and now there's like 1,600 between the different companies. Yeah, or more, I think. But yeah, it's it's just exploded and and, and it's just getting started too. So it's, it's really exciting. So Sam reached out because a big part, of, for those of you who didn't listen to the previous episode, there's there's a, a strong emphasis on the, the cost, the, the, the foundation and, and addressing child sexual exploitation. And a lot of the the focus here, you know, there is a, there's a for-profit company that's fueling the ability to really do some incredible things on the nonprofit side on the, on the, to the foundation. Anyway, and had reached out through an employee that was a good friend of mine that was working here and kind of just want to start a conversation about, you know, maybe, maybe I could come over and, and help. And, and he didn't, he wasn't aware of Impact Suite and what we were doing on the, on the mental health and addiction recovery software, but he just kind of wanted to see like, hey, we're trying to take this nonprofit thing a little bit more seriously, a lot more seriously, you know, can you come help us? <laughs> and, and I was super interested because not only am I passionate about nonprofit work and cause-driven initiatives, but I was very passionate about that very initiative of, of child sexual exploitation and, you know, had spent years in that realm and, and talking to youth and parents and studying and, re- and talking to researchers and survivors. And so I was very passionate. So I was like, yeah, I want to help, but I've got, I've got this software. And he's like, what's this? And, and I was super interested in talking to him about it because again, I was like, I'm looking for investors. You want to invest? <laughs> yeah, Come yeah. on, let's do this. And after, you know, after talking to Sam a, a number of times and learning more about what they're doing and kind of the mission, it became clear to, to both Sam and I, I think it became more clear to Sam earlier than for me, but, but that it was like, let's just bring this all together. And like, let's make one and one equal five, you know, like, let's just blow this up. And so he's like, would you consider, you know, coming in and, and like, let's acquire this and pull this into the, to the family and, and let's, let's get you, you know, not only pouring fuel onto the existing initiative around mental health and addiction recovery, but also having a lot of support on the, the nonprofit side. And 
And, uh, and I thought about it for a while. It was, it was a moment where it's like, I'm not looking for an acquisition. I, I, we're, we're, we're just about to take off. But here's the thing. And, and others might have made a different decision because, you know, it was too early to sell and whatever. But the reality for me was, I, this is what I care most about. Where can we make the biggest dent the quickest? And as I weighed those, that is, as that, that is my criteria for making the decision. Where can we make the biggest dent the quickest? It, it, it was clear. Where that would where that existed, and and I I got back to Sam and said, okay, let's do this. Well, and I remember these conversations, and like, correct me, t- I'm going to get this story wrong, so fix it when I once I tell it. But I feel like again, you're such a thoughtful guy. You were like more than more than a lot of my other entrepreneur friends. You really weigh deeply each side, and you you aren't a like shoot from the hip. Oh, that sounds good. Let's go for it. Like you really think things through more like I, like I probably should. But I feel like in the end, there was a couple of things and you tell me if these were as big a, as I remember them, but it was like, no, Jess, if I go there, if, if I sell the company, I get a payday, but, but more so I get all these resources to take this to the next level. We're going to help so many people. And I like, he seems like a great guy to work with. The company seems great. But we'll be able to pour jet fuel on this fire immediately. Actually, jet fuel doesn't burn. But pour gasoline on the fire, okay? And you're like, we can do more. Yeah. And, and it was an awesome financial win for your investors right after yeah. that. I mean, how many tech companies don't make money, let alone, like, the investors being able to, you know, seed investors? Like, let's face it. Like, these are, this is not a high probability this is a high probability investment, right? A return, right? Yeah, we were able and, to give them a return and not only their money back, but a return on their money in a very short amount of time. <laughs> right? From when they put Exceed in. Exceed expectations with your investors. Take care of them. Take care of fight. Take care of yourself and mm. take this to the next level. And I remember you just saying like, yeah, maybe I can hold out. Maybe I could get a, an even bigger payday if I held on to it longer. But I'm risking the whole issue of if I don't make it there. Yeah, that that is true. I did think about that, but it didn't that didn't weigh on me very heavily. That okay. particular part of of maybe I could make because that re, that it wasn't the defining factor. For me, no. It was again, can where can we allow these these missions to thrive and grow and make the impact that we want to make? And and I'll say it's been two years now since since that all went down. Well, Go finish ahead. your finish your well, I was just gonna say that that working with Sam and Casey, it, it, it that's why I say it, not only the big deal, but the the real deal. It has exceeded my expectations. We have we are working on some really exciting things together. We're having more impact than we could have otherwise had individually and, and, and apart. And so I think it's been a very beautiful union. And, and again, we're just getting started. So, yeah, it's, it's, they've been wonderful to work with and, and helped in so many ways get well, it further. And what's been impressive to me is, as our conversations have gone over the last couple of years, just you really have built such a solid offering where it's gone from just addiction to how much you guys have done in the mental health. And I want you to explain the product. Okay. Okay. But I've been impressed of like the robustness of the offering. It's not a one trick pony. And I guess the proof is in the pitting of like, you know, names we won't mention right here, but like the really major organizations that have signed on and, and taken what would normally be an easily dismissible startup, essentially, mm. and said, wow, you guys really have something. Let's do this together. That's impressive. Well, thank you. And, and I think part of that is because the challenges that we're seeing today around mental health and addiction and the coping mechanisms based on our environmental conditions that we find ourselves in, uh, global challenges that we face, 
are are so immense and and so uh, vast that I think there's an enormous appetite. It's no longer the luxury benefit. It's no longer the kind of like the sure we'll we'll you know provide some things. We we're passionate about providing resources that drive at, at, at the root contributing components that are driving these challenges in the first place. And, and companies are, are, are realizing that this is not a, a need, a must to survive. So let's walk through people. So I'm, a, I'm an executive at a, <clears throat> at a large organization who recognizes like, hey, we probably need a, a more robust offering for, for our company. Actually, let's say I don't know anything about you guys. Sure. Give me the, let, let's role play here. Let's do a little sales oh, training. Great. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything, but I'm open-minded. Somebody said this clay guy's got a great comp, a great thing that we should look at for our employees. How are you introducing the idea to me? Well, uh, first of all, I mean, we want to understand, like, there are a lot of companies that do, that, that, that do have offerings. So, like they're offering something. Sometimes let's say I like, don't. Let's say I so don't you're really, not doing anything. Don't have much. You're, you're maybe not aware of of the challenges that your employees are facing. The re, I mean, the reality is that over over eighty percent of employees are you know reporting feeling stressed and overwhelmed at work, which is driving anxiety levels and and addiction levels and 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 a lot of issues. One in three employees nationwide are dealing with mental health or addiction challenges. Now, this is clearly really? having a profound impact on productivity. On, on you know absenteeism, on turnover, on medical spend, it's costing employers over a trillion dollars annually based on these these factors. So it, it's it's a huge concern, a huge uh, uh, challenge, and it's becoming more. It's manifesting itself more on the surface today than it has in the past. A lot of people, you know, twenty twenty didn't do us any favors, right? Twenty twenty was a difficult year, and it's continued to kind of like stay with us, and 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 people are being you know, more vocal about, about their needs as employees and, and, and employees. You know, a lot of studies are showing that they want to work at places that, that prioritize mental health, prioritize their well-being at work and at home. So, so we wanted to, we wanted so to let, take, let's say I accept that. Yeah. I'm saying like, oh, wow, one in, th- one in three of my employees are probably dealing with mental health or addiction issues or whatever. I don't, I don't even know how to talk to them about that. Like, do yeah. I have HR yeah, do this or what, what, what happens? Yeah. So, Tell me, like, bare bones. What is what does your offering do? How do I use it? Our offering, bare bones, is we provide a suite of digital wellness tools that focus very succinctly on a variety of areas like depression and anxiety, substance abuse, sexual compulsivity, and personal growth and wellness. We have an app for everybody in the company to address their, their challenges and, and improve. We take a unique approach to mental health. We take a therapeutic lifestyle change approach to mental health, which has been proven in the literature to have catalytic influence on individuals' mood and well-being. I just like that you used catalytic, catalytic in a sentence. Yeah, That's it's great. great, it's great uh, work. And it's pretty reasonable per employee. Oh, yes. I mean, well, so we have a, a variety of different you know, tiers of offering. Uh, we have the digital wellness tools. We have specialized lifestyle coaches. So let's say that we identify through your assessment that sleep is an area of of vulnerability for you that that might be driving some of your you know challenges that you're facing or or an area that you want to improve in well we have a sleep expert that's there available ready to talk and support you we have journeys and education that you can take that will support you on that that effort you can set goals and and track those goals and then we have of course we have the the ambulances at the bottom of the hill we have the therapists we have the network for unlimited teletherapy sessions for individuals that need that 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 care but we but you know I think that's one of the things I remember it's funny every few months when I finally say hey what exactly is going on with the product you've always got some new thing to add to it to me I I was really impressed when you first started telling me about the 
like that we're not just going to be digital, that we're going to have the human telehealth, which I think a lot of folks don't get that offering right. And, or it's, it's too expensive. And so employers don't consider it in the first place or that like having the human element available where I, as the employee completely confidentially can, can go this direction. Oh yeah. And And it's completely anonymous. Individuals that sign up are assigned wellness consultants. Those wellness consultants support them, help them navigate them, understand their issue and help them navigate them toward the, 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 the the services that they need, whether it's on-demand education, whether it's coaching in different lifestyle categories or whether it's therapeutic intervention. And again, that's available. And once we started offering that holistic approach where it's not just the therapy, right? You know, you know, other, you know, traditional offerings might say, you know, just offer the therapy and report on number of sessions per year. But we can actually identify not only the sessions that are occurring, but then what the results of those sessions, what the results of the intervention was to begin with, as we can identify decreases for, as an aggregate total for their employee base, decreases in depression levels, anxiety levels, stress levels, improvements in motivation yeah, it's and relationships. Like a, it's like a confidential way to have a, like a finger on the pulse. Oh, absolutely. And like for people who are like, for people who don't like therapists, they can use the digital tools and it's like they get the prompts. And I don't think everybody really understands what the digital tools do. Oh, they're comprehensive. Yeah. They're incredibly robust. And, and, and the therapists love working for us because they, they get insight that they wouldn't otherwise have by not only being able to provide, you know, recommend different journeys or resources within the apps, you know, in between sessions, as they can kind of say, hey, you know, for the next week, why don't you go in and do these things or try this? And then they get, can get reports on that, the data, so that they can visualize that improvement. So it's a, it's a really uh, comprehensive and powerful approach to mental health that's, that's different. The, the narrative that currently exists around mental health is this. The narrative, the predominant narrative that we all kind of hear is that mental health challenges are deeply rooted, you know, biological, they're chronic in nature, and that they are lifelong. That, that once you are diagnosed, that you're going to be dealing with for the rest of your life. But, you know, Just grin and bear it. Yeah, you know, cope, manage, but also maybe we can you know, support you in, in, in uh, some medications, we can support you in some you know, professional intervention. Now, all of that has its place, but my point is that that's the narrative. That's a very depressing story about depression, right? It's, it's like, this is lifelong. Like, you know, just kind of deal with it. And the reality is, and I, I've said this to, to others, but if that's what the research validated, we'd have to just embrace it. The truth is that that's not what the research is saying and that people need to be aware of the fact that there is a better way to address mental health. And it stems from our knowledge and awareness that these are diseases, depression and anxiety and, and uh, addiction are diseases of lifestyle or diseases of civilization that, you know, researchers refer to it as we're living in a depressogenic society. We're bathing in risk factors for these challenges. And as we recognize our vulnerabilities or risk factors and then start to make small iterative adjustments in those areas, I'll use the word again, the catalytic improvements are exciting. And, and well, this isn't just theory. We, we've worked with now hundreds of thousands of people. We've seen the results, and it's really exciting. Well, if only we could get you to be passionate about Sorry. it. I think you'd do better. <laughs> okay, I think we need to complete this infomercial right here. Sorry. Uh, no, no, I think you should hire me to run infomercials for you guys yeah, now, and I can cr- creatively bring out the most important points. Okay, what's the website if people want to check it oh, out? Oh, yeah, if you want to reach out, go to impactsuite.com, impactsuite, S-U-I-T-E, dot com. Okay, if I'm a boss who's, like, uh, slightly intimidated with the whole subject and, like, Mm-hmm. I got enough. I got enough trying to grow sales here. Like I don't know that I want to become everybody's therapist. So like, I'm I'm timid to even go down this path. What's like a book or a podcast or a 
Like what's something that me as the boss starting to get maybe more self-educated on thinking of mental health for my employees? Where- there's, a, there's so many things we could point to, but I'll point to one. And it's a book by Dr. Ilardi, who's from- How do you the- spell that? Ilardi, I-L-A-R-D-I. He's the, the author of the book called The Depression Cure. And he's from the University of Kansas. He's done a, a lot of research around this subject, particularly through the lens of therapeutic lifestyle change. And it's beautiful. Uh, that if I think that's what we want to convey. If nothing else, we want to convey this. Look, there is hope. There is a different way of thinking about mental health, and it's not depressing. It's one exciting. More, one more time. The name of this book. The Depression Cure by Dr. Lardy. Okay. I got to get it. Yeah, you got to get it. You got to read it. It's phenomenal. And and it, it, it follows – there's actually a story in that book that, that kind of is – I guess, speaks to the thesis of the book. That is, many years ago, uh, a doctor by the name of Edward Schieffelin went and studied uh, a tribe in northern New Guinea called the Kuli people. And, uh, and this is a tribe that was largely disconnected from any modern you know, Western civilization advances and whatnot. And what he found over a decade of researching this, this, this tribe and over 2,000 interviews and studies and, and analyses of these individuals, what he found was that depression was nearly non-existent with only one in 2,000 coming even close to depress- diagnostic criteria for depression. What that study and other studies in tribes in Brazil and even tribes with you know, uh, people here in the United States like the Amish with largely radically different lifestyle conditions than we face in, in modern civilization. And what, what all of these studies have concluded is that, again, these issues are diseases of civilization or lifestyle, meaning we're, we're – we're conditioning ourselves to Why? Is it because I'm comparing this. myself to people on social media? Or what oh, do you there, mean? there's, uh, again, a, a number of factors, right? And we identify those. There's, there's areas uh, like meaning and purpose. There's areas, uh, and that can stem from your, your feeling of worth. And, and they boil down to basically relationship with self, others, and maybe you know, a larger community, higher power, or a larger community that, that you know, there's, there's something more than just you in the universe and, and that we are connected in some way. There's, there's power in, in in developing and strengthening these relationships. And when there's deficiencies in these key categories of relationships, we, we are more vulnerable. And today in our current modern, you know, screen-addicted, you know, fast-food-laden, frenetic pace of modern life, we are, again, conditioned for these challenges. And so this is good news because it, it helps us identify that as we I- identify our vulnerabilities, whether it's nutrition, exercise, sleep, mindfulness, relationships, trauma, past trauma, as we identify some of our vulnerabilities, we can start to make micro adjustments. I'll give you a couple examples. A study came out recently in Harvard in 2021 that, that identified individuals that go to bed one hour earlier and wake up one hour earlier. Again, making no other adjustments in our life. Same individual, no other adjustments. They can eat the same way, not exercise, whatever. But if they get up one hour earlier than they otherwise would and go to bed one hour earlier, earlier that corresponded to a 23% lower risk for depression or for mental health issues. And if they went to bed two hours earlier and got up two hours earlier, that one change corresponded to a 40% reduction in risk for depression. Another study found that Individuals who go on walks, three 30-minute walks, brisk walks per week, the results of that on their, their mental health equated and on the long term exceeded the leading antidepressants. You know, okay, you probably know this book. One of my favorite books that I learned something similar about is Dr. John Roddy, Raddy from Harvard. Do you know his book, Spark? I am aware of it. I have not read it. No. So good. It's like, it's all the mental benefits of exercise. Like it's 
doesn't care about your cholesterol. He's not talking about yeah. any of that. And he just goes through like what the actual chemicals are that are released in the brain. There's one called BDNF that, that will help you learn a skill. If you have more BNF, BDNF in your blood, you will learn and adapt faster. And it's like basically explains like his version is like 30 minutes of exercise is like taking a little bit of Ritalin and a little bit of Prozac every day. Amen. Now, now, now start to think about that. Those are individual adjustments in your lifestyle, like, like small micro adjustments in your lifestyle. And as you compound those and start to like make multiple adjustments in multiple categories in those key areas that the literature has identified as, as setting us up for depression or, or addiction, we start to see profound in, impact. One woman told us that she, you know, she was, she had, we, she had identified through assessments, ten risk factors, and she was excited because she now knew areas in which she could make adjustments. And as she went from ten down to six down to four, it was night and day. Her, her, the, you know, the way she felt every day. So, so you know, a lot of people just want, just give me the pill. I just want to live my life the way I'm living it. Give me the pill. But the reality is that for long term, sustainable healing. We need to look at, you know, some of the environmental and, and decisions we're making on a lifestyle level that we have no idea. We're not connecting the dots. You know, some people say, well, well, what does my nutrition have to do with my mental health? The answer is actually a, a, a huge, it has, can, can have a huge impact on your mental health, but you're unaware of some of the things that we're putting into our bodies and how that can actually adjust some of the chemical imbalances in the brain. Can I interrupt you? Yeah. And tell you one of my crazy theories, and then you tell me if there's any science for or against what yeah, I believe. Yeah. So Hogwash. Sorry. I really like books on willpower. Like there's a woman from Stanford oh. who wrote a great one called The Willpower. Dang it. I think it's called The Willpower Habit. Okay. Dang it. How come I can't remember? Anyway, she's got great TED Talks, and of course I can't remember her name right now. But I read the Roy Baumeister books and, and these different ones. And then do you know Niriel? He wrote that book, Hooked. Yeah. Right? He's he basically has highlighted a bunch of the research that's counter to Roy Baumaster stuff. And as I've like sorted through these different things of it, these different opinions and thoughts, like I feel like willpower, which obviously has a lot to do with impulse control and yeah. addiction and all sorts of things, which have huge yeah. impacts on mental health, right? Yeah. I feel like willpower is actually highly, highly dependent on and that our emotions are highly dependent on did we sleep eat, sleep, or exercise. Like when you're hangry. Yeah. The ability to rein in my emotions and then my ability to choose long-term things that are my long-term benefit instead of short-term benefit. That's just like my synthesis of a few different things. I'm wondering if there's any science to support it or against it. <laughs> oh, there's a ton of science. In fact, some of our therapists and you know talk about they check in with their, their clients and they talk about eat, breathe, move, sleep. Like, how'd you eat? Did you, did you breathe and have some time to, to kind of calm down to, and detach and separate yourself from the hustle? Did you move? Did you exercise? Did you get the heart rate moving and up? And then did you get good rest? And those four areas, if you only tracked those four areas, and there are others to consider, but if you only tracked those four areas and made sure that you were kind of, you know, not deficient in any of those, undoubtedly, without question, you would see significant improvements in your mood and your well-being. No, no, a lot of people don't recognize that. So we help people in that regard. We help people identify and make some micro adjustments while providing the professional support. So we haven't even, we have not talked this in depth about your product and it keeps getting better. I'm really inspired. I'm thinking like, okay, so how do I sign up my family? And yeah. can we get that for the charity for all these trafficking survivors? Yeah. But a couple of things, by the way, the book is called The Willpower Instinct. Ah, that's good. super good. Good catch. Yeah. But it like, I know this doctor in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. Who, when people come to him for a pill, hey, I want Prozac, or, you know, my brother-in-law gets Prozac, I want that. He's like, okay, 
except that what we have to start with is for 30 days, you have to do 60 minutes of exercise a day, and then I'll give it to you. And like consistently, people cancel the appointment. They're like, we can book the appointment for a month from now, and as long as you've done the 60 minutes a day, we you can have it. And people consistently cancel be like, you know what? I'm good. This running thing has been amazing. I don't yeah. need it. <laughs> like over and over and over, which 60 minutes a day I get is a lot for some people, but... But if they think that's the only way they're going to get the pill, a bunch of them do it, and then... The beautiful thing is that you know the pill is uh, attempting to address just the mental health component, which, again, has its massive limitations. We're not anti-medication, but has its limitations, especially for long-term solutions. Massive limitations. But, but the running or some of these other interventions, they have the mental health, which people don't recognize, the mental health benefits. But then you add on the physical health benefits, and it's cyclical, it, like... It fuels one another, and and the results are you far outweigh the benefits of of the medications. Again, medications have their place. I'm not we're not, we're not trying to say get off meds today like that. That's dangerous. Consult your you know your, your doctor to 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 wean off if that's if that's a desire. But there is a better way to address mental health, and we are we are passionate about trying to get people to 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 understand that. I love it. We should maybe do another show just sure. about this. With with a few minutes we have left, I want to go back to the business side of things. Yeah. You you are different than a lot of my entrepreneur friends where a bunch of my friends, they're like, I want to make some cash. And that's where the starting point. And they're like, what can I figure out that I think will do that? Mm. And And then as they work on it, they get more passionate about it and it becomes a passion over time. But it is primarily a financial endeavor for them. And I feel like repeatedly for you, the different things you get involved with, the you do all this volunteering for all these other organizations you're on boards. So you're like the other way around, like you start with. But my question for you is thinking about bringing people on for the cause and the passion and having to balance it with the finance and the marketing and the sales and the accounting and the like the the non-passion based, the, the for-profit aspects of it. When you think about scale, what are your what if what are the principles that have worked the best for you when it comes to, OK, now we need to make some money at this? Go go further with that. What what do you mean? When you think about, hey, guys, we've got a great idea. We've got a great idea. Now we need to translate this into customers. Yeah. What what are the principles that have been the most effective for you? Like, we need paying customers. This is, we're past theory. We're past someday this will be great. Like, rubber's meeting the road. Like, let's generate some income. Well, I mean, there's a lot of guiding principles that, sure. that drive best practices for you know, product development and 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 listening to your customer base and what what are the what are the pain points? You know, I I in the early days you lean a lot on intuition. You lean a lot on what you think is going to be helpful and beneficial, and what you think is is the right decision and move. And as you mature and you start looking at scale and getting and and, and you know proving a model. You start leaning on your own intuition a lot less. Not to say that intuition is is you want to get away from it. It's it's always necessary and needed. But you need to start relying on data analytics and user behavior and and you know market demands and product market fit. And if you can't but, reconcile those things, go ahead. No, finish your thought. Well, if you if you if you're not paying attention from a kind of a scientific perspective, a very surgical precision perspective of okay. How do we take the, the guiding principle, which is the mission and the focus and the passion, how do we take that and, and, and put that, you know, as our beacon, as our North Star? But now how do we, you know, the, building the business is, is, 
it, you know, there's no shortcuts to that. that, that you, it requires all the necessary inputs and outputs that any other business requires. And, and you got to get the right people, the right skill, the right focus. And you're going to make wrong turns. You're going to, you know, uh, make the wrong decision from here and there. And you got to learn from it, you know, pick yourself back up and move in a new direction. And you know, that'll happen on a micro level and sometimes even on a macro level. And so, but yeah, I, I, it, holding on to that North Star and not letting go of that is, 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 is uh, what keeps us on course. But it, you can't, that, if it, you're driven only by the passion or you're just kind of like floating by intuition and passion, it's not going to, it's not going to go. So. Without naming names or, or, you know, oversharing, tell us a story or two about those first customers that actually cut your checks. It's like, so I knew this guy who knew someone who worked there. We offered him a free trial and then I got a meeting with HR. Like, what, what was that journey from to getting those first checks Oh, for your first clients? Yeah. So those are, those are tough because like, tell us you're one not of the proven. Stories. Yeah, yeah. Tell us so one of the I, I suppose one of those was an individual that had come across our, 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 our stuff and our content and was really passionate about it and said, I don't want to help. And I know somebody that works. When you say come across, like YouTube or a blog or something? Or what, they what's... had seen me speak at an event. And okay. so they had followed that. And then they saw kind of some things that we were working on and they wanted to help. And so they they contacted so they contacted me and said how can I help I, you know he he ran a a benefits brokerage and he was just kind of like you know can I get you in touch with somebody and we were just like you know we were willing to talk to anybody at that time was just like you know let's let's talk so so he he said you know what would be good it was like let me get you in touch with with you know a, a guy that he knew it was good friends with but it was somebody that that had a school district and that that could maybe benefit from this anyway long story short we it was. A lot of yeah. In the early days, you have to. I don't say you want. I don't want to say you have to, but we had to make a lot of concessions and kind of like we had to prove ourselves. And so we we wanted to lower all the barriers to just kind of say like just let us in, let us prove ourselves. And so we we would like at one point we offered it for free for a client. Yeah. Just to kind of get the name, get the experience, and uh, we we did that actually a couple of times where we where we just sacrificed to prove our our product. Listen, it works well at on, at Costco on Saturdays. I think that <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a proven. Yeah, I should have started with that. We took the Costco model, and uh, no, I mean, I want to back. Yeah, well, I want to back up. Let's talk about the speaking gig. I can see you know so many more founders. Instead of sending random emails or random LinkedIn messages hoping to get through somebody's inbox, if you can get booked to speak at something and you have you actually have something great, somebody in the audience is going to figure that out and come talk to you. When you know when you're when you're when you're speaking at this next conference, this you know the one where the brokerage guy meets you, right? Any any tips for people who don't have a big speaking background that like they need to get booked? For their first speeches on something. Oh yeah. So that's a, a do it for free. I get that. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of under the the guise of fake it till you make it kind of thing. Like just like let's let's. But but you know I, I've been speaking and part of speakers bureaus, national speakers bureaus for many years now. That's a whole different conversation. I'd love to get into that someday. But but I mean I think speaking and you know presenting yourself as a thought leader definitely opens up doors that would never be opened. Uh, otherwise, and it's far more efficient and effective to do it that way than again these cold emails. I think that you know, as entrepreneurs are looking at you know their product, uh, I always said this, and I think that I probably got this out of a book. Maybe I got this out of Good to Great, but you know, I just I, I never wanted to be just a better mousetrap. 
Like I have a mousetrap, they have a mousetrap. Ours is slightly better than their mousetrap, and like it's still a mousetrap. Like that doesn't drive me. I want to be disruptive. I want to be revolutionary, and I, not. I shouldn't say it that way. I don't want to be. I, I want. I want. I want to be involved in initiatives and products that that are have drastic impact. Have drastic increment. impact, and and are fundamentally thinking of things differently than had previously been considered, and and that. Is if if you can kind of look at whatever product you have, whatever mission you have, whatever uh, you know initiative you have, and think of like, what are we saying that others aren't? What how are we speaking to this on a philosophical level? Not even on a feature set perspective. Like, oh, we our our button is blue and theirs is red. Who cares? Like philosophically, how are you approaching and addressing this issue? That's what made fight the new drug explode. Is that we came onto the scene. And there had been initiatives and you know organizations, but we came onto the scene, radically changing the way that we are talking about it and the way that it was presented, and that took everyone by everyone kind of said, "Whoa, this! You can talk about this, you know, pornography and other challenging subjects in a completely new light." And it and it's and it it really sparked an interest and, and a drive to, for that brand and building that brand. Well, and that's what we're doing with Impact Suite on the mental health side and, and kind of talking about a new way of approaching this and a new – and that, if you can kind of like anchor yourself to that, that philosophical, fundamental, baseline, foundation difference that everything else is built around and upon, that, that simple idea that, that distinguishes you, oh, you'll get speaking gigs all over. You'll go out and, and be able to speak because, again, you're saying something that isn't just a commercial. You're saying something that, that people I, – I got down with a, a recent presentation around mental health, and a woman came up to me, tears rolling down her face, and came up to me and said, thank you. She had been dealing with depression for, for perhaps decades, and she came and she said, I'd never heard this message. And it just really resonated with her. And she, you know, we didn't even talk about the products. We just talked about the philosophy or the, the perspective and that dra- – that really resonates with people. Well, this is what I want to talk about because it is a consistent theme. Like I get a lot of great humans who have, who've accomplished a lot on the show. And then I get some people who accomplish like a, just a, an incredible amount more than even the people who are awesome. Right. Like those just complete outliers. They're worth billions of dollars or they they've, their impact has gone drastically further than others. And that's not me. Just for FYI. <laughs> yeah. Very, very much not me. <laughs> uh, but this idea of like, and it's written about in so many books, Peter Thiel's Zero to One, yeah. The Blue Ocean Strategy, Jack Trout, Differentiate or Die, Play Bigger. I mean, like people talk about this all the time. Warren Buffett's always wanting to own something that's like a monopoly that has a deep moat and a big, <laughs> a big wall around that castle, right? And yet, I, th- I think it's like, there's so many of us that just aren't thinking hard enough. Like we're like, oh, ours is going to be better. And it's like, ah, we gotta be. We can't be better in the same category. We also have to like invent our own new category. Different. It's like, like you said, fundamentally different. Yes. You know, our, our mutual friend, who is funny enough, is here today, Jay Davis. Yeah. Right? He and I were in Silicon Valley last week, meet with a guy who'd been on the show, Mir Imran, amazing guy. Okay. Built twenty companies, fifteen of them IPO'd. He's this amazing inventor. Has eight hundred patents. Okay. He invited us out after the show. Invited me to go see his innovation labs. It was super cool. And as Jay and I like peppered him with questions for like almost four hours. <laughs> This is, this is the same supposedly simple principle that I see hardly ever applied. Like he, most of his companies are medical companies, but he invented the machine. You know, when you go to the airports, so you have to put your hands up and it goes around you. Yeah. Right? So he invented that. Okay. Just because he was annoyed with the TSA holdups and how things weren't going well in the country after 9-11. And he's like, that's a problem. So he needs to deal with it. And he's wow. like, 
instead of a better metal detector or instead of any of those things, he's like, I just fundamentally rethought it and said, what is the big issue that needs to happen here? Because he's watching on the news of like people getting plastic guns and ceramic knives through. He's like, metal detector is not cutting it. Like we have to completely rethink this from the beginning. And he ends up like finding out, like taking ground penetrating, ground penetrating radar for like finding oil and gas finds and reusing that in completely different ways. 60-year-old technology nobody had ever thought of. And he's like, we just need to be able to image everything that person's got on the person with, through the clothes without metal yeah. detector, you know, whatever. And he's like, it's in some ways a simplistic concept of just go back to the absolute fundamental thing that needs to get done and leave everybody else's solutions, like ignore everybody's solutions and rethink what would it be like to solve if I, didn't, if I wasn't being led by what other people had done. And sold it to every country in the world, and and all of us have been going through it since. And like his idea of like, and it needs to happen in thirty, like it needs to happen in three seconds. I really thank him for that. It's, yeah. it's not a multiple of that. Yeah. But my, and I think we're about up for time. So maybe my final question for you is: If entrepreneurs, innovators, anybody listening today, they want to do more lateral thinking, they want to boil it down to the basics and ask themselves, how could I do this fundamentally different? What's what's a question? What's a technique? What's a, an idea for get away from the competition and go different instead of better? Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. I, I think that you know the goal is is you know I, I tell this to my sales guys if we if we do our job at at communicating our position, it's no longer a question of us versus them versus them. Because if their light bulb goes off with the way that we're approaching this and they buy into that, there's only us at that point. It, it dissolves the competition in that regard. Because if that light bulb, if we can adequately address and, and communicate the paradigm shift that we're trying to communicate, and then they, then they can't go next door and, and get that. So it's not a question of price point at that point. It's not like a, hmm, can you do it for a nickel cheaper or whatever? Like that, that, that has dissolved as well because now you're the only game in town that has this model. So, so if you were only a feature factory, if, you, if, if it's kind of like, hey, we have these features and they have those features, well, then you're, you're my gosh, that's a tough sell. I mean, you're in the game of, of of really just kind of like well we have it and they have it but ours does this and theirs does that and ours is blue and theirs is red and it is just a, a nickel and dime game of trying to win business but if again if you can you know restructure your entire sales pres- we and we did this this is a I, I shouldn't say we didn't start out like this we started out selling features we'd go to companies and say this is what we do and this is how, you know this, this is the product and this is how you do it and and you know we didn't get a lot of traction. As soon as we started telling the story of, of why, why we're different fundamentally from a philosophical and from a, a, a new paradigm of framing the conversation or, or the issue, again, that, that, was, uh, that completely changed every conversation from that point forward. And so as far as a tip and a trick, I, I don't no, know. No, I would just that say, was it. That was yeah. it right there. I feel like you got there in the end of like what I was hoping for, of set the standard for ourselves. We haven't created the product like we haven't got to the finish line yet if our stuff is just better. Yeah. Like we have not achieved the 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 product destination if our product is just better. It has to be so different that we're the only game in town. Yeah. And we have to set that standard for ourselves and our whole team and the way our organization talks about it, our videos talk about it, our salespeople talk about it, that it needs to start with 
the philosophical, like the philosophical foundations of this completely different aspect. And then we can tell you about the feature secondarily. Features. I feel like that's. Features are second. And I know everybody says stuff like that and and sell the benefit, not the feature. And, you know, I've read all the sales books, right? But there's something about the way you, there's something about the way you said it just now that made me think like, yeah, if we went in and. It sounds just like Simon Sinek, start with why, but I feel like it's a little different the way you're saying it. If we went in and we approached it from a like, hey, listen, can I talk to you about this thing that you know about from how we think, how we think. What we believe, what what our mantra and what our philosophy is. If you started the conversation with, hey, listen, to begin with, can I just tell you how we're different? If you just started there and then you later get on to features and pricing and all that stuff, like it makes total sense to me. Game changer. Yeah. And uh, to get to get Clay Olson's sales training, call his number, everyone. It's I feel like it is. I feel like it's expert sales training right there. Have something genuinely different and train everyone in the organization to start with what's different about us is. And not speaking about features. Like not not the differences on features. Differences on philosophical approach. Philosophical mission drive direction approach. And I should write a book about this. Yeah. I'm sure there's five. Okay. What do you want to leave with? What else, what else should we tell people? Well, nothing. I think uh, this is great. And thank you for having me on. And you're, you, I love every time I talk with you. This happens. This is, I just want people to know this. This isn't just the podcast version of Jess. Every time I talk with Jess, he will rattle off 35 books that he has read and understands meticulously. Like in, I, I mean, I'm sure you just, how many books, you, I want you to do this. I want you to tally up every time you reference a book or, or a kind of a, a quote somebody in a day and just see what that average is because it, it exceeds your knowledge on these topics is so prolific. It's beautiful. And I love talking to you. So it's not I, just a, it's not just for show. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's not just for show. It's real. This guy's I, real. I will say I try to limit that about myself. Limit. <laughs> you try to limit that. Actively. <laughs> Very actively because almost everything – people say i my brain goes oh you know what book talks about that and i feel like i would annoy people like my brain is literally filtering what they're saying through the books and youtube videos and podcasts that's why you're a legend primarily the books though and and i really like i have to rein it in i have to be like they don't care about that story they care about themselves shut up jess it's beautiful or i have to tell myself like I'm overwhelming this person with the number of books because I'm bringing up books from 10 years ago, 12 years ago, right? And that are kind of cataloged in my brain. And like I can, especially somebody who doesn't know me and they don't know all my sentences start with, do you know the book? Yeah. Right? <laughs> especially somebody new, like I, I, I get so excited about my books. I feel like I should be like getting commissions from Amazon, audible.com. You, 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 you listen to books at what speed? You told me this and my brain doesn't c- compute the words coming It, it depends. If I'm just trying to see if the book, so I listen to book the first time to see if it's any good at three and a half speed. Yeah. So that's jarbled nonsense to me at that point. But continue. <laughs> but I worked up to that for years. Yeah. You know, I was 1.25, I was 1.5, I was, I was at two times for like three years, then two and a half, then three, then three and a half. And every time I transition, it takes me six months where I'll be listening to be like, I didn't catch any of that. And I have to rewind for a minute or two and listen to it over. And if they have an accent, I have to slow it down. Or if the, if the, after reading the book is too fast. I have to slow it down. So it's not always. Yeah. But it is to the point where a lot of YouTube videos I can do it five times. You know, I, so you get wow. uh, like a Chrome add-on so you can yeah, speed like it. like Micro Machine commercial guy. I, that's probably too old of a reference. Do you <laughs> yeah, know? I have a Micro Machines. My, like, that guy <laughs> Those little tiny really cars. That was uh, before people could speed things up. He just spoke at the speed yeah, up level. Yeah. Yeah. But, so I'll listen to it once at three and a half speed to see if it's any good. Unless it's one of my pleasure books, like one of my Jason Bourne genre fiction books, I'll 
typically listen to those at, at double speed or if it's read by George Goodell, the best audio book author, uh, speaker of all time, I might listen to like 1.2 or something Just like that. you want to soak, that, soak in that mm-hmm. glory. Or the other ones I slow way down are books that are like, I got this one great book called uh, 600 Quotes from Ancient Philosophers or something like that. And it's like 100 quotes from Epictetus, 100 quotes from Marcus Aurelius, 100 quotes from Buddha, 100 quotes from Lao Tzu. And it's just a quote, and then it gives you time to pause. And that's the next one. Also, that one down to single speed because the point is the pause. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like Ryan Holiday's Stillness is the Key. I'll slow it down because I'm looking to decompress. I'm not yeah. looking for information gain. Yeah. But so I listen to it at three and a half speed, see if it's any good. And then I file it, my, file it away in my brain. That problem, I need to get that book out again. Or when I'm advising somebody or I've got a friend who I'm trying to help with something, I'll need to pull that book out again. And then I'll listen to it one or two or three more times at three and a half speed at that point. I try to, I try to get enough repetitions in for it to move to long-term memory. And so I'll pause and I'll pull up my notes app on my phone and start writing notes about it and then push play on the book again. But, you know, like certain books, Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday and 80-20 Principle Richard Koch and The One Thing by Gary Keller. Like I listen to some of those books almost every day, but for sure every week because (laughs) of what they do for me. Like I'm to the point on Obstacle is the Way where I just need to listen to the opening quote and the opening sentence of of the chapter and I'll be like, oh, yeah. That's what that one's about. Hmm. And so I'll just run through the whole book, sometimes two or three times in just a a handful of minutes because it's three and a half speed and I'm only listening to 10 seconds of the chapter. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, quit letting my my situation control my emotions. Choose my own perspective about this situation and like pick yourself up, Jess, and get after it, Hmm. you know? Or like shiny penny syndrome, all the different things that I want to do. It's like, I know I need to listen to the second half of chapter four and the second half of chapter 10 from the one thing Gary Keller to go like 80-20 principle, what is the one thing I can do right now that would make everything else easier or relevant? And need to say like, just not no to all those other things, but not yet. What is the one thing I could do right now? I need that pep talk. I even know that that's a pep talk I need, but for some reason hearing it from the book helps me deliver Well, that's on what it. makes you such a good you know, CEO coach or executive coach is that you have such a depth and knowledge and wisdom on so many topics to help. Well, so I will, thank you. I will say like, you know, whether it's child rescue, whether it's this media company, whether it's our real estate fund, one of the advantages is getting to the point of being able to do self-advising where I can like play both sides of the chess game. I'm like, okay, take a step back for myself. If I was advising one of my buddies who's a CEO on the same issue, what would I tell them? And just like play both sides of the chess game. What book would I have them read? What, you know, what, what exercise, you know, what would I have them write down? What list would I make them write right now? And try to make myself do that. Turn the phone on airplane mode. Go somewhere where no one could enter. Anyways. Beautiful. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Appreciate it. Let's do it again. Okay. Launch your your new product we were talking about at lunch and come back on the show. Okay. We'll do it. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye now.